All right, I hope you'll, you'll bear with me today. What I'd like to do is just give you an assessment and uh, bring you up on where I am and what I've learned over the past uh, three months here, September, October, November, December, four months with you here. I've had the opportunity to sit in your homes. I've had the opportunity for you to sit in the office downstairs and a chance just to get to know you. And uh, it's been a fabulous experience from, from my end, just so you know. Now, I still haven't interviewed all of you, so I haven't had a chance to sit with all of you, and I'd still like to do that. So it's not like we're going to end this phase. So if we haven't sat and had a chance to get acquainted yet and meet, I would like to still encourage you to do that. Come see me, and we'll certainly set something up, and, and, and we'll honestly, I've enjoyed it. I want to take you through some things this morning for you to see what I've learned. I'm not... I don't have opinions on this today. I'm simply going to give back to you what, in essence, you as a group of people that I have met with have given to me. And uh, so I, I want to share with you where I think you're at as a church, and then at the end kind of challenge you as to where I think uh, we need to go in the, coming, uh, in the coming year, if I can do that. May I remind you that uh, when IPM, when you brought me in as an IPM representative, that my role here is basically fivefold. Uh, it begins with connecting with people, and uh, we've tried to do that. We've worked hard at that, and my wife included. In fact, I said to the, the, uh, those that interviewed, uh, my wife and I, when we first were being considered for this, I said, uh, you're going to pay for me, but you're going to get an extra package with my wife, and I said, she's the better part of the deal. And uh, I know she has fallen in love with you. She loves people. She loves to spend time with people. She cares deeply about people. And I can tell you from our perspective that both her and I together have just fallen in love with your church. The most difficult aspect for us is going to be in uh, whatever time it is for us to say goodbye and walk away. Uh, that's going to be hard. And uh, from when we leave the last time and drive from here back to uh, Sellersville, that's going to be uh, one quiet trip uh, for us. So we thank you. The second part is to assess church health. That's what we've tried to do over the last couple of months, is just try to figure out where you're at. And so when you understand where you're at, I think it gives you a little bit of a picture of where you need to go. It's kind of like our individual lives. We need to know who we are. And the hard thing is, most of the time, we're blind to our own blindness. What we think we are, what we hope we are, we're usually not. Uh, so our assessment of ourselves is usually skewed by our hopes and our dreams, and we sometimes think we're better than we are, but other people know the real us. So it really is helpful for all of us to just understand who we are, because then we know... Uh, really who we need around us. I, I never forget reading one of the challenges that, uh, in reading one of the books that we read in preparation for this whole ministry was the question was asked of us, what is your God-assigned strength? What's your God-assigned strength? And all of us like to think because of our American culture in terms of our strengths. But the second question was, what's your God-assigned weakness? When I first read that question, I sat back and thought, you mean God assigned us a weakness? Yes. 
All of us have strengths and all of us has weaknesses and we just need to recognize that. And then it's the next question that if I'm willing to recognize and say, here's my weakness, then the next question becomes then who do I need around me to help me with my weaknesses? And so that's exactly how it is as a church. What's your God-assigned strengths as a church? What are your God-assigned weaknesses? And then who do we need that can help us to be and to cover those and to be all that God wants us to be? So we've tried to assess church health. The next aspect is facilitate action. And we're in that process right now. That's, and we'll enter into that, and I'll share a little bit. And then, of course, it's lead some strategic planning. And then it's uh, begin to coach the search team that'll begin to look for your new pastor. My task that I keep in my mind as I do what I do here is simply this. Intentional internal pastors prepare the way for the next settled pastor. And what I'm trying to do, my task coming in, which in essence you've asked me to do, is to help you prepare, get prepared, and help the church get prepared so that when the next guy come in, I hope he has a long-term ministry with you for 25 years, I'm praying. Because I'll tell you why that's so critical. So critical. It really is so critical because it takes you three to five years for a pastor to earn trust. It just does. If a pastor would come in and start doing things and changing things all around, you'd kind of be saying, what's he doing? So it just takes, when, if a new pastor comes in, he just kind of st- take a look at what's there. Don't do much. Just assess what's there. And it just takes time for you to trust him, and it takes time for him to get to know you. So that's three to five years. About the fifth year, the pastor that will come in will begin to say, this is what I believe, knowing who you are, this is what I believe God wants us to do as a church in the coming days. And you'll begin to put pieces of the puzzle together, and beginning about in the fifth year, you begin to go. Well, what happens if you change pastors then in the eighth year, everything that has been started and everything that has been done crashes. And then you have to start all over again. And most pastors have a run from about their fifth year to about their 15th year. So a good 10-year run of accomplishing things, and you're going to see things happen. So it's five years to get established and the next 15 years of just seeing God build That's my prayer that this next pastor coming in will be able to have 20 years of ministry together with you and just seeing what God could do as you bring it together, keep it together, and then go together in wherever God leads you and directs you to do. So my task is to help prep that. Now I want to throw this slide up for you to look at. As you look at it, you're probably saying, I'm that one right well, we're right, we're right, well, well, we're right, ah, you immediately identify where you are in that cycle. It's a life cycle for all of us, we know it. And what you learn as you get older is it goes really fast. You didn't plan to be 87, in fact, there was a day when you looked at people that were 87 years old and you thought they were really ancient people. They are. No, no, I didn't say that. (laughs) But you didn't think now that you're 87, you're like, how did I get here? Well, life cycle of individuals, and we're all in it. And each of us can identify right there where we are in that cycle. 
Well, let me tell you this, the churches have life cycles as well. You as a church are 87 years old. You're 87. Now, if that was a person, you would say what? That's an, that, that church is 87 years old. The young people sometimes think you act 87. The older people think, now nah, you're acting like a kid. It's kind of funny to listen and hear what people are saying, but churches have life cycles. And where I look at you as a church and where I in the assessment of where you're at is you're right here. You, you, you've plateaued, you're beginning to decline. And dropout and death are what's ahead of you unless you're willing to take the hard steps, do the hard stuff, and say, we realize where we are. Now, is being 87 a bad thing? No. In fact, if you're 87 and you got out of bed today, you were grateful to see the green grass. Okay. So being an 87-year-old church is a great thing. Okay. It really is. But as I look and say, where are you at? I would say, here's where you are. And I've tried to listen. Where were you 10 years ago? Where were you 20 years ago? Where were you 30 years ago? And I think, PJ, I sat the other day with, was it Bill Sider I was with that had the heart attack? He's the only one I know. He said, I was an infant when the church started. 1930, he was born. I think. Don't quote me, okay? But he said, myself and any named one other lady that were, have been a part of this church for all 87 years of it, and I think she just died. So you're 87. Okay, own it. <laughs> own it. It's a good thing. But let me just take you and show you this, that what's necessary is to understand typical church life cycles. And I want to just show you some things that you need to understand that are very important coming into 2017. It's very important that we together are on the same page. Because as you look at this chart, you'll see some interesting things. When you're up here, what's needed is just re-improvement. As you begin to come down here, what's needed is refocus. What's needed here, and I'm sorry you can't read that, but what that word says right there is what's needed is restructure. Okay? And what's needed down here is rebirth. So you're at this point where we're in this right here. Now, I want to show you something else. I'm sorry you can't see it well, but it says expected difficulty of the, cha the uh, change. This line says the further you get down this line, the more difficult it is to make changes. And everybody in here, not everybody in here, most people in here would say this, I hate change. Okay. I hate change. The only problem is, and the reason you hate change is because everything is always changing. And what's happened in recent years is the rate of change is so dramatic, so drastic, that it's difficult to keep up with it. So in essence, what we hate it. I got to tell you this though. I love my new car. You know what I love most about my new car? I can talk on the telephone without having to put it here. And most of my phone calls are done in the car, and it has this built-in Bluetooth, and I just push a button, and it talks over the speaker system. And I love that. I couldn't go back to my old car. So where you're at in this process is we need restructuring. 
Now, I want to take with you for a couple minutes this morning, and I want to show you basically what we work off of. It's from NCD, or Natural Church Development, and they put out what's known as the eight characteristics of a healthy church. And I just want to walk through these with you, because this is really how we've assessed, and this is how we look at it. This is the lens through which we look at it. The first characteristic is empowering leadership, okay? And I'm going to come back and put a question with these in a minute. The second characteristic is gift-oriented ministry, okay? The third characteristic of a healthy church is simply this, passionate spirituality. Fourth characteristic of a healthy church is functional structures. Fifth characteristic of a healthy church is inspiring worship services, and I hope can you read that? Is that a little too, little, eh, my, my bad on that. Let me, re- the, the next characteristic is holistic small groups. And the final characteristic of a healthy church is need-oriented evangelism. So in my looking at your church and assessing, I've tried to look through this lens and say, how is Mount Calvary in, with this lens? And let me do that with you this morning. Loving relationships is the last one. I'm sorry. Let, the first one, empowering leadership, is this. Answer this question for me, if you would. Is the ministry of our church leaders focused on equipping other Christians to serve? Is the leadership of your church equipping people for the work of the ministry? Just out of curiosity, how'd you answer that? Go ahead, shake your head. Okay. Second thing, let's talk about gift-oriented service. Okay, let's ask this question. Are the tasks or the responsibilities or the ministries that you do in the church distributed to people according to the criteria of their spiritual gifts of each individual Christian? Are you being put in place to minister where the Holy Spirit has gifted you to minister? Or are you doing this? Are you just grabbing and getting people wherever you can get them? Okay? All right, third, passionate spirituality. Is the spiritual life of the members characterized by prayer, enthusiasm, and boldness? Okay, next. Functional structures. I'll ask it this way. Are the forms, the regulations, and the institutions of the church designed according to the criteria of what's demonstrably the most useful for the development of the church here and now. That's important. Okay. Inspiring worship service. Visiting, coming into these worship services, are they inspiring and is it an, is an inspiring experience for church members? Okay. That's, that's one. Holistic small groups is this. Are the small groups dedicated to answering the true questions and meeting the real needs of its members in a holistic way? I would ask it this way. Are your small groups designed primarily for discipleship and spiritual growth or for fellowship? Okay. And then let's go on. Need-oriented evangelism. Here's this. Are the forms and contents of the evangelistic activities of the church as a whole related to the needs of those that are trying 
we are trying to win. Let me ask you this. Do you know, as a church, what are the needs that exist in Elizabethtown? And how are you as a church attempting to address those individuals and those needs? You see, I think that's different as a person, because as a person, I build relationships. But as a church, do you understand the people that you're reaching? Do you know them? Do you know what the needs are in the community? And how are you as a church then attempting to address those needs? Loving relationships. Are the relationships of the members of this church characterized by a high degree of love and affection? Now, I'm going to give you my assessment. Taking those eight characteristics, I'm going to tell you where I think you are. Okay? And I do this not based upon my personal opinions or thoughts or anything, just my assessment of where I see you from what I have learned from you. And I've had probably 60, 70 different interviews with people. And I've tried to take that or that and accumulate that data, bring it back and say, okay, where is this church? And I want to give you where I think you're at. Okay. And I'm going to start from the best and I'm going to address then the worst. So I think as I look at your church, you are great at loving relationships. And I would give you a passing grade because you truly do love each other. You really do. I'll tell you, when I knew it was a great place, my mom came in here and visited one Sunday, and my mom said, I would love to go to that church. You just loved on her in an incredible way. You made her feel so at home. And you do that with people, and you do that with each other. You're really good at that. The second thing is passionate spirituality. You are a passionate group of people. Now, in different ways, you're passionate about a little bit different things, but you are very passionate about your walk as believers, and you're passionate about areas that you care deeply about. And that came out. In fact, as I began, as I got into this and began going into the months of November, after going through September, October, and as I got into November and December, I'm going to tell you that your passion taught me stuff. I learned stuff from you that I wish I would have known 30 years ago. You taught me. And I want to share at the end of this time today what I learned from you. But you are a very passionate group of people. And it's like getting that energy going in, in, in one direction and getting that energy not just sitting in here, but getting, you know, garnering that, inf- that, that passion and getting it directed and going. You know, it's like the kid that's ADD in the classroom. It's like, you know, you don't want to sit him in the corner and tell him to sit still. He can't. Ask me how I know. It's how do you take that energy and how do you harness that energy and direct that energy? The next thing is your small groups are great. Tweaking, yes. And as we go into next year, we're going to work to say, we, want to, we really want to see them be more discipleship focused about the growth of each other. And then fellowship oriented as well. But you really have great 
I have been in homes of several different of the small groups, and they are just, that's just been a great time. And great food on top of it. But the food is secondary. This, the spiritual growth is primary. The next thing I found is that inspiring worship services here are good. Are they great? Well, you can always be better. But when I come in here, and, and the thing that I love, and I hope in the coming year you would make, if you want to make one resolution, here's a resolution to make for this coming year. When our church gathers the sing, we're singing. We're not going to stand there. When people look around, we want, we want people that come in here, when they look around, what we want to see from every face is this. They sing because they love God. Empowering leadership. I will just tell you this real quickly. You're going to have to, in the coming year, we're going to have to address issues of staff because you don't have the staff here. You don't have the horsepower here to do what needs to be done at Mount Calvary. And then on top of that, is leadership needs to be equipping people for the work of the ministry. And I'll address that in a little bit. The next thing is need-oriented evangelism. We really need to focus on that as we go into the next year. And, and we'll attempt to set up and, and show you some of that stuff. And then I think your weakest point is your functional structures. In, in all honesty, you're broken. If I, I've asked this question to so many people, is this. If someone new comes into this church, what is your plan to grow them to spiritual maturity? You know what the answer is? I'm not sure. That's not good. Because every one of you should be able to say, if I come up or anybody comes up to you and says, what is the plan at Mount Calvary to help grow people to spiritual maturity? You should all be able to articulate that, plan, that process. And if you can't articulate that process, it just shows this. Structures are broken. Structures are broken. Because if I'm coaching a basketball team, you're going to ask me this. What's your plan to develop each of those individual players? Well, I don't know. I'm just going to let them play basketball. Really? How's that going to work? You see, there needs to be a plan of how you develop the big man, how you develop the point guard, how you develop each of the people on your team. And then you develop them personally and individually, but then you bring them together and fit them together as a team. And I'll just say this. So let me address some of this. Here's the tensions that I've observed in the church. There's three tensions, okay? I'm calling them tensions for lack of a... I'm trying to be really nice. But it's not bad. These are not bad things. These are fixable things. The first one, there's a tension between the old and the young. It has surfaced as I've talked to you and interviewed you. Now, I will tell you this. That old and young has nothing to do with age. Okay? I will tell you this. Here's how you know if you're old. Well, I remember what our church used to be. I remember the way we did things. You know, I know how it was. Okay? And your vision for the church is a return to what it used to be. You're old. Sorry. Not trying to be unkind. Just remember this. How it used to be was at one time a vision of what it could be. 
right? Somebody was dreaming way back when, and it became this. Okay. So if you're young, you're thinking this. What could God do through our church in the future, even though it's going to look different than the past? You're young. So it has nothing to do with age. It has everything to do with really vision. And, and I'm not trying to be critical in there, because I love the stage of life that I'm at now as a parent, because I think this, grandkids are far better than kids ever were. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm ki- well, I'm partially kidding. <laughs> grandkids are this, and I'm pappy at home, just so you know. My grandkids come up to me, hey, pappy, can we go shopping? You know my answer? Sure. We get to the store, they find this Under Armour shirt. Hey, Pappy, can you buy this for me? How much is it? $57. No problem. Let's get it. You know what I would have told my kids? Get a job. (laughs) Right? (laughs) You know what my dad told me? This is how old I am. I was alive when Adidas first came out. Prior to that, you old guys in here, I won't say old ladies, you old people in here remember there were Converse sneakers. We all wore cons, remember that? And then all one day they came out with Adidas, they were leather sneakers. And I remember, I went to my dad and said, dad, they just came out with some new sneakers. Can I get them? They're called Adidas. He said, how much did they cost? I said, and this is the truth, they were $19.99. You know what he said to me? If you think I'll ever buy a pair of sneakers for $19.99, you're crazy. You raise that money, you save that money, you get them, you buy them yourself. So I did. Now, if you came and said, I'd like to buy a pair of Adidas for $19.99, you say, who stole them? <laughs> right? See, there's, but there's tension here between the young and the old. We want to address that. There's tension here between a church and a school. It surfaces in different ways. It surfaces in a lot of ways. I'll give you an example of one. Some said if our kids are in public school, they don't feel welcome here at Mount Calvary. That's one area. We don't want that. We don't want that. We want this. Don't care whether you go to school, whether you're homeschooled, public school, or Christian school. This is the church that you're going to be welcome in, and everybody's going to be welcome here. We've got to address that. So we've got to address the issue. Now, it comes out in other ways, too. That I only gave you one example, but I heard that. And I'm just saying there's tension here that we need to address and there's tension between the elder and the pe- and people, and we want to address that. We want to address that in the coming year. Okay. For whatever reasons, and I'm not going back, and I'm not casting blame on anybody, but as I sat with you, I heard this. Sometimes we don't trust our elders. I heard that. And what we want to do is, in the coming year, we want to build it so that you can trust them explicitly. Because they're good men. They're good men. And I've learned that by getting to know them. And whatever took place in the past, it is what it is. But we don't want to live in the past. We want to, in 2017, go to the future. And so I want to address a couple things here, if I can. Two major functional structures that we want to address. Two functional issues that we need to address. One is the process, processing and equipping of people. What is your intentional process to grow and equip the people for the work of the ministry? We need to address that. Because somebody walks through these doors, you need to know. How do we, what do we do, how do we do it? 
How does it work? And how do we take an individual from this point and grow them to maturity? And even some of, some of the idea here as we get into this of gift-oriented services, when you are equipped for ministry, one of the things that came out was this. When I would talk and ask questions, and as I got later into November and began to turn my questions, and I began to question you more than you questioned me. And what I would find when I would talk about certain areas of the church, you guys would come out of your seats in a good way. And what I learned through this is there's the giftedness is here in this church to do the work that God wants to do. It's here. It's in you. And I want to share something with you in a little bit. But the processing of people, growing people, understanding what their gifts are, and then placing people in ministry based on their giftedness and their passion. Somehow we got to get past just grabbing people and putting them in positions. We need to put round pegs in round holes. Okay? And, and that will is something that we want to work on in the coming days. The second thing that needs to be addressed is your leadership structure. Uh, it needs to be addressed so the new pastor can have a long-term ministry. Uh, I would just tell you this. I don't want to go into any details. I don't want to you know, say a whole lot here other than to say this. Your leadership structures need to be changed so that the new pastor coming in can succeed. One of the things that happened, and I learned this from you, is you really basically went to elders, I think, between two and three years ago, correct? Do you, when you go to elders in a church, when you take a church that's existed for 84 years one way and change the leadership structure completely, just know this, it changes the DNA of the church. It's going to cause dysfunction simply because it's brand new. And working your way through that will cause some dysfunction, and that needs to be addressed. And so one of the things that we want to address with you in the coming days is leadership structures. Now, what's the next step? Just to let you know where we want to go, next is the transition team. And I will be approaching certain individuals and asking you to be a part of a transition team. You say, what is their task? Well, it's kind of it's kind of a lot of stuff that we want to work through. But basically what they do is coming to terms with your history. Uh, why did God raise up this church? One of the things that's very important, and one of the things I've heard is this. We're trying to be this kind of church. Well, if you're trying to be somebody that you're not, it's not going to work. You need to be like the old, uh, uh, well, kind of like, you know, at Penn State, they say, we are. <laughs> They're allowed to talk. <laughs> we are. <laughs> and it should have been in the Fiesta Bowl. Sorry, sorry. Don't go there. They certainly would have represented a whole lot better than that team from over there. And I say that because my wife's from over there. <laughs> you need to be able to say this. We are Mount Calvary. We are Mount Calvary Church. We know who we are. We know why God brought us into existence. And we need to be Mount Calvary in the future. We're not going to try and be anybody else. We're going to be us. And we want to do what God wants us to do as Mount Calvary. 
because we are. Yes. You're not, the, you're not the church down the road. You're not the church over there. You're Mount Calvary. You got a great heritage. You got a great legacy. And the stories need to be told. I'll tell you, I had a ball reading your history that was written in 1980 of the first 50 years. It's great. The stories of the people that sacrificed so that you can sit here today are incredible. And hopefully in a hundred years, when they read the stories of your lives, they'll be able to say, we're sitting here because of the sacrifices that you made. And the legacy continues, and the stories expand. And then we're going to examine leadership and organizational needs. Then we're going to discover who you are as a church, knowing who you are. And then we're going to look to the future and a commitment to a new pastoral leadership in the future. That's what transition team will do. And, and obviously, through it all, we'll keep you informed. Now, I have one request for you to do. I have one request this morning I'd like to ask of you. This year, some elders are coming off. I want to ask you to do this. I know what your constitution says. I've read it. But I want to ask you not to add new elders yet. And I want to ask you to give me pa- be patient with me, us, as we work through some of the leadership structural issues. When we work through some of those issues, and we will keep you informed as the process goes forward. Promise. We'll keep you informed. No decisions will be made without your awareness. Okay? But I would like you just to say, let's just be patient. We understand the Constitution, but we're going to give an exception for right now as we work on some leadership structural issues, and then we'll come back to you. That's my only request of you today. Okay? Just so you know that. So I'm not going to end yet, but I am going to ask this. Get it? Okay. I just want to make sure. And then what have I learned from you? This is what I want to quit with in the last couple minutes. Because I'll tell you, the experience, I don't know what you got out of it, but I got a ton out of it. And I want to tell you what I learned from you. Because it's changed my whole approach to things. And I don't know if that's good or bad yet. And I want to... It, it's, I learned you are passionate about your faith and you desire to see Mount Calvary move forward. I came away seeing your hearts and your hearts do beat for God and your heart does beat for Mount Calvary Church. And that was extremely encouraging. I wish I'd have known 30 years ago to sit down with the members of a church that I pastored and just listen to what they had to say. I didn't know that. They didn't teach us that back then. But I wish I would have just made my way around to all the houses of all the people and just listened to what they said and just hear. And what came out of it was your heart. And you have a great big heart. You really do. And I, and, and I can speak for my wife, we have been incredibly encouraged to see your passion. Guys, you were coming out of your seats saying stuff. You were on the edge of your chair. Your body language was in it. <laughs> you want to see God do great things through this church. Second thing I saw is you want to be involved. You want to be involved. And this is what began to speak to me. 
And then this is where I began to say this, you're gifted to serve. And what I've learned, and I'll show you this in a minute, go to scripture, is I've learned this. I'm not sure vision should come top down to a church. I'm not so sure that a pastor's responsibility isn't this. Think about this. The pastor's responsibility is see how God has gifted his team and then develop the game plan. Because if I'm a coach, and I've been a coach, a coach, and what I did as a coach was this, assess my team. Who do I have? What do I have? What are the strengths and what are the weaknesses? Well, for a couple years in basketball, I coached basketball teams that the tallest guy was 6'2". All right, we're not going to try and get the ball inside. Okay. We're going to adjust our game plan based upon who we had. The one year I had a team, I had a 6'7 guy, I had a 6'5 guy, and a 6'4 guy. Whoo, we're taking it to you. We're taking it down in low. Okay. See, look at your team and then make up your game plan. What I'm convinced of as a pastor is not sit up here and say, I believe this is the vision God has given to me as a pastor. Y'all come. It's this, assess the team and the giftedness that's in the hearts and lives of the people and say, how has God gifted his church? Because I want to ask you one question. What and where is the power of God? My normal answer would have been it's in the word of God, and it is. But I want you to think this. Where is the power of God in the local church? The answer is this. Think about it. It's in the giftedness of the Holy Spirit in the gifts that the Holy Spirit assigns to the people in the church. And I'm not sure a pastor's job isn't get with the people, find out what the team, find out what God is doing in the lives of the people, how he has gifted the people, and then here's the vision. It's in the lives and hearts of the people. Now a pastor says, let's pull it together, let's devise a plan, let's go. But this is how, how God has equipped the church. Let me quit with you. And doing this. Come with me to Ephesians chapter 4 real quick. He begins in, uh, in chapter 4 of Ephesians, and he says this, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. You realize every one of you are called by God. That God has gifted you. And the calling is based on the giftedness. And then he says this, so live a life. He said uh, in, in verse number two, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourself united in the spirit, binding yourselves together in peace. For there is one body and one spirit just as there had been called to one glorious hope for the future. Go down to verse 7. Look at this. However, he has given each one of us a special gift. I'm reading the NLT because it's so crystal clear in this passage. He has given each one of us a special gift. Every one of you here today, the moment you got saved, the Holy Spirit gifted you with a supernatural gift. It is either an equipping gift or it is a supporting gift. But all of you are gifted by the Holy Spirit. And what we have to do, and I think what pastors have to do, is find out how has God gifted his church, this church, Mount Calvary. Because how he has gifted you determines the plan that he wants to do and the way we go about work and what we do. We just don't do something because that's a ministry out there that everybody else is doing. We do what we do because Christ is the head of the church 
A pastor is simply the under-shepherd trying to find out how God has equipped his people and then saying, all right, let's go, team. Let's get her done. He goes on and down in verse 11, notice what he said. Now, these, these are the gifts Christ gave to his church. And he goes on and he names a few. And, and, and then he begins to talk about evangelists and he talks about pastors and teachers. And then verse number 12 says this, their responsibility, the leadership of the church, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do the work of ministry and build up the church, the body of Christ. So you can see some of the work that we have ahead this year as you just look at scripture. And what I've learned from you is, 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 has been incredible to learn. I see when we talk about music, certain of you popped out of your seats. When we talked about outreach, some of you came out of your seats. When we talked about different areas of the church, you came out of your seats, and I began to say, God, what are you showing us here? And what the answer was, I'm showing you that this church has all the gifts needed. We just need to tap in on the giftedness of God's people and put you in places and design ministry so that it utilizes your giftedness, not try to fit you into what's already a prescribed program. Does that make sense to you? So as we go forward in 2017, I'm going to call it the year of challenge. Okay? And that's two things we're going to need from you. One, faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. All of us, including me, are going to have to say, God, you are the chief shepherd of this church. Give us your wisdom and give us your direction as we go forward. Not my will, but your will be done at Mount Calvary. Faith. Some things are going to change. Some things are going to change. Some things have to change. Can't keep doing ministry the way you did it yesterday. We have to say, how does God want us to do ministry today? Not everything's going to change. But there's going to be some restructuring. And then I want to call you to prayer. I would like to ask you all to make a commitment that sometime during the course of every day that you spend time in prayer for Mount Calvary Church that God would lead us and direct us in the future. And especially in 2017, as we deal with some of these specific issues, that we would have the mind of Christ. Would you commit to prayer? And would you commit taking time to pray? I saw somebody, we saw somebody the other day pray as a pastor with his eyes open. And I learned something really helped me big the other day. I can pray a whole lot better with my eyes open. Walking around, looking around, and it just helps me. It causes me when I look around and see things to have to focus extra hard to pray. So maybe you just need to change the way you pray a little bit. Get out of the ordinary routine that you're in sometimes. But would you commit to prayer? Because if this thing is going to get done in 2017, it's not going to be because of any of us. It's going to be because God did something unique in the lives of the people of Mount Calvary and in the life of Mount Calvary Church. Get it? I want to close before PJ comes, and I just want to have a time of prayer with you this morning, because I think what's ahead of us is big. I don't know how big, I know, uh, but I think it's big. So I want, to, I want to cheat today in my prayer. I just want to read 
Paul's prayer for the church at Ephesus. As he looked at the church, he addressed the issues of the church, and every church has issues. They did back then. Seven churches of Revelation had issues. Every church has issues. We're going to address them. So would you stand with me? And can I read this prayer, and then PJ will come and close our service this morning. This is our prayer this morning. I pray that from God's glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down deep into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. And all God's people said. PJ. Thank you, Pastor Paul, for sharing uh, that with us. I don't know, the other day, Paul and I were talking about a little bit about this, and, and he was sharing that uh, 2017, he said, I want to call it the year of challenge. And I have to be honest, in that moment, I thought, you know what, God, 2016 has been pretty challenging for me personally. And I'm not sure, now this is just in that moment, I'm not sure I'm ready for the challenge. But then he reminded me that we don't face that alone. That God has given us his presence. He's given us his power. And he's given us his people. The Mount Calvary family. And as we face 2017, we have a great opportunity. And there's going to be difficult parts and there's going to be hard parts But God is with us. He's given us the gifts and abilities that he wants us to use for his ministry here. And he's given us the people to do it. So as I was thinking about that, I was thinking, okay, you know what you're doing, God. You're God and I'm not. But I have your presence, I have your power, and we, your people, will gather here and serve you here. And so the year of challenge is an opportunity for us to be bold, to step out of our comfort zones, to, uh, to change our perceptions and perspectives and keep our eyes focused on him and focus, focus on, uh, on really asking him, God, what do you want me to do here? How can you use me for your honor and glory here at Mount Calvary? And it's going to be challenging, but it's going to be exciting. And we can't do it without you. And so thank you so much for gathering here this morning. Thank you for continuing to gather here, continue to be faithful and serving here. And we're excited for what God has in store. 
but let's have the faith and let's, let's have an active prayer life that God is going to use Mount Calvary to do great things here in Elizabethtown. Let's make that our prayer and, and our desire and see what God will do when we're open to his leading and guiding. Hey, thank you so much for being here. Happy New Year. Have a great day with your family and friends. And, and, and thank you so much for all that you do here as our family. Uh, we appreciate, we love you. Uh, see you next week.